Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at the allingospel.com website. We're going to pick up in Ruth 2 where we left off last week. And it says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So, you know, Ruth is this image of the heart of God and what God thinks of us and wants of us. And we just get this glimpse inside the character of God in this book. And it's amazing. And for us history buffs, when we get words like reaping and gleaning, like it's time to learn some history and what that all is. Really this chapter starts in the last chapter at the very end, verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess and her daughter-in-law with her and they returned to the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So all this gleanings in context of a barley harvest, they both decided in chapter one that they were coming back to the Holy Land. One Jewish woman, one Gentile woman, one older woman, one younger woman. And they're both coming back to be with the people of God. This was a good decision because they didn't start out in the greatest of shape. They were widowers, both of them. Uh, they, were not had a, they didn't have a lot of prospects, so they're coming back to the people of God without a lot to offer. In fact, they're coming back in total poverty, and we see that in the first few verses. Barley harvest would be in the April or in the spring, April, March, April time. And in the Middle East, that's one of the first crops that comes in. It's for fodder for the, for the animals. Largely, barley got used for extremely poor people and to feed the livestock. Um, so the barley harvest comes in first. The relative they're talking about here, and it's not, it's very close. It's yada, not yoda. Uh, but the word relative there is yada, which means somebody who's known or someone who Elimelech knew very well. The broad relationship isn't made clear. They don't tell us exactly how Elimelech and Boaz are related. Um, but we know that there's some sort of a distant relative there because as we go through the chapter, this person's a, 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 in, ver, in verse 1, they were, there was a relative or somebody who's known. And later on, we're going to see that they're, they're a familial relative. And that has huge significance when we, if we know the law. All of Judges and Ruth, we're supposed to, the understanding is that we understand the Jewish law. So as we come at these images and these things, that should signify something that there is a relative of Elimelech who's now dead. Um, but if you have a widow and there's someone in the family that's still alive, Jewish law says that the family takes that woman in. They're not just begging on the streets. And that you bring them into your home and you take care of them. That person was called a kinsman redeemer. So the idea wasn't necessarily a weird sexual relationship, but it was the idea that we don't leave people that were in our family destitute. We take care of the people in our family. So it was a law of mercy. In this particular case, 
we get two attributes of this person, a man of great wealth. And the words great and wealth there are actually two different attributes. So in the, in the English, that could read like an adjective, great wealth. Uh, but it, it's, that's not what it is. The first word there is hayil, which means strength or force. Better translation today would be a gentleman. He was a, a great man. He was a gentleman. He was a, an, or, or if you're in the Middle Ages, he's a knight of the realm. So he's someone that's regarded and respected. We see later that Boaz has servants that work for him in teams. Um, it's the same word that we see in Judges 11.1. 1, and there it was translated a person with valor, a man of valor. So this is, th that first word great means that. And then the wealth word, I, there's not much to interpret it. He was rich. Um, so he had money and he had resources. So he's a powerful man and he happens to be a man of honor too and has some money and resources. So two major attributes. He's of the family and they're coming back. In chapter one, they were left without a family. They come back to the people of God and I just think the image here is beautiful. Now suddenly they discover they have a family. And that family might be more distant, maybe not a blood connection necessarily, but it, you're with the people of God, you're in a family. And there's that image that God wants his people to be together like that. Naomi then stays back in the house and Ruth takes some initiative here. So my wife critiqued that when I did Juice chapter one, one of the, a lot of people read Naomi as like not the best of character. And you can read chapter one like that. I gave a little different take that Naomi is just at a different place in her life. Um, but here we see this image of Naomi maybe being too old to go out and glean the fields. But it's Ruth that's a little like, we got to get up and do something. So she starts out this chapter taking that initiative. Boaz means fleetness or quickness. So I don't know if that has any connection to anything. But here's the big thing. The word Boaz is actually one of the words of the, one of the names of the two pillars at the temple. You know, the, the temple has two major support pillars. One of those two pillars is called Boaz. So I, I don't think we should miss that connection here. That Boaz is this image of something that's a little more significant. Um, throughout this chapter, Ruth gets referred to as the Moabitess in verse 2. So we just see that the writer of this book wants us to know again and again and again that Ruth was a Moabitess. She wasn't Jewish. And the story of redemption here for the Gentile uh, comes out because the writer brings that out. It's repeated again and again. <clears throat> When she says, let me go, she's asking to go gleaning. <laughs> we see that Ruth is not only loyal to Naomi, but we also get another aspect of her character. She's really hardworking. She's ready to do some work. Gleaning's not fun work. It's worse than corn detasseling or bean walking. It's kind of miserable work. Um, when you glean the field, so today we have combines. They go through and every single plant gets mowed, right, like a lawnmower. That didn't work that way. In the ancient world, they would pick things by hand. So as you went through a field, you'd pick the ripe stuff by hand. And if you came to the field at the right time, as all planted at the same time, most of the plants would be mature at this point. There would be a very small amount of those plants that just didn't mature that much. Bad soil, didn't get enough water. The plant next to it was bigger and had better root system. So they would go through the fields and they wouldn't just mow it. There would be leftovers. So the people that gleaned would get like the overripe bananas, right? Or the underripe bananas. They'd get the stuff that wasn't worthy of picking. So they're getting the scraps from the field. It was one of the social laws that provided for the poor in, in, in 
under God's law, that there should be a way for the poor to get up in the morning and work and eat. And if they were willing to get out and do it, but here's the thing, you're getting kind of the last of the crop that the farmer doesn't want. And a lot of the gleaning, you'd have to bend over to get it. So a lot of times the stalks would be bent or stepped on or something happened to them. Or when the harvesters, the reapers go through and pick it, they would drop stuff on the ground. So gleaners were bending over all day. Now this means nothing to you 20 something people. But once you hit past 35, 40, you really realize <laughs> that bending over all day to pick up your stuff to get your food, that's miserable work. And it's muddy work or dusty, one of the two. It's not a pleasant place to be. So most or all of the time, and this is a, 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 a thing that I want to test as we go through the Bible. God, when God seeks people out, it's like Jesus goes away to the wilderness to spend time with God, but when God comes to find somebody, I don't think there's an example in the Bible of him coming to people that are not working. He always comes to people that are busy doing work, and, the, and biblically, it tends to be menial work or work that's not necessarily pride-filled work. Maybe the most illustrious of jobs we find somebody at is Matthew as a text collector. He's a total reject in his society because of his job. But everybody else, we're talking about fishermen, shepherds, gleaners of the crops. Like when God meets people, he meets them at work and he often meets them doing very humble work. As Christians, I, I, that's one of the things as Grant was growing up, we were like, Grant, when you do a job, do it with all your heart and soul because that's the work God's put in front of you. And there's no pride when it comes to work. Like if your job is to, I can, the worst thing I can think of is cleaning the toilets. If your job is to clean the toilets, do it to the glory of God. And do it with pride that God's given you some work so that you can earn something. Here we find Ruth probably at one of the lowest stations in her culture. And this is where God comes to meet her or where her kinsman redeemer comes to meet her. Um, Ruth doesn't complain. There's no evidence of groaning. We don't see her coming home saying, oh, my toes or anything <laughs> like that. That's just not Ruth. She's excited that she gets to work. And she's excited that God's put something in front of her. Verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, after, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. That made me go back and read this. Verse 1 introduces the context, but if you notice in verse 2, Ruth and Naomi don't seem to make any reference to Boaz. Let me go to the field, she says in verse 2. Does that make sense? Like it wasn't like Ruth was going out headhunting Boaz, right? We need to read verse 1 as a context sentence setting the stage for the story. And then she says, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. I'll go into any field where I cannot be molested. Remember the story of Gilead? Like, let me just go to a place where I can find favor of whoever's in charge. The hymn there is not a proper name. It's not capitalized. Um, so when she goes there, she just happens to come to the part of the field where there is Boaz, who we've already been made aware of, who was of the family of Elimelech. On verse 3, the family is much more relational, part of the biological family of Elimelech. Um, it says she left. Uh, it's interesting because the word left, when it says then she left, it's another one of those English words we can fly past. In the Hebrew, that's a strong, broad term. She left. She didn't just leave to go do something. She didn't just take off. She left her home behind her. To glean in the fields could take a long time. 
So when she left Naomi to do this, the term there is an extremely strong version or an emphatic version. Uh, And she went, she left and she went. Again, it's a purposeful picturing of, of what's going on here. The word's very specific. She didn't just randomly go out. She went out with a purpose. And her purpose was to actually go and do some work and try to get some food for her family. The opposite of those strong terms is that she happened to come to part of the field. She happened upon. So the strong term is that she had an intention to go work. The much lesser, you know, the the more kind of wow, and then this just kind of happened, is that she coincidentally arrived at Boaz's field. And I think the context of this is there's no coincidences here. God absolutely put her in the right place at the right time, but she had to get up and leave to do that. She had to get to work for God to do and have that intervention. Given the dangers, as we saw in the book of Judges, this takes a lot of courage. Like a young lady like Ruth going out into the world without anybody with her, she could be cut up into little pieces and sent all over Israel because that's happening during this period of time in Judges. Right? This is not a safe thing for her to do. So she happens to come across this field where they're just working and doing their thing. I don't know, in my head, I'm imagining they're singing hymns out in the field. Like, this is a good place to work. Because right next to Gilead, this town of absolute evil, is this little town of Bethlehem. And this little town of Bethlehem, you got a family like Boaz, and they're just living under the law, and we're going to see that through the chapter. They're just good people. And we're going to see Boaz actually has some concern for Ruth and looks out for her. God knows Ruth's past and directs her to the right place. They didn't just so happen to come here. God got them there. So there's no accidents. There's, an, an, I think, an, an intentional use of that wordage to show that this is providential. Like we would say, we made a decision to follow the Lord and the Lord just brought us to the right place. But there's the decision that gets made before that happens. God doesn't just give people commandments. He also gives them a heart to do what he's asking them to do. And that's sometimes something in the church we got to struggle through a little bit. Here's a good thing to do, but have I, has God given me the heart to do that too? Has he put a passion in me to pursue that? So... Two things about gleaning we're supposed to know. If we're readers of this, we're supposed to remember, and I'm not, I didn't trust myself. I had to look it up. I'm not that smart. Leviticus 19.9 is one of the laws we're supposed to recognize when we get to Ruth 2. Leviticus 19.9 says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, talking to the farmers, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, neither should you gather the gleanings of, the, of your harvest. And you shall not glean the vineyard, neither shall you gather every grape of the vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. The rationale God gives at the end is, I am the Lord your God. The reason you don't get greedy and cling to every penny is because there's people that need those pennies more than you. So farmers, and this is the primary source of wealth creation in the ancient world, you're not supposed to go and pick everything in the field like it matters that much. You're clinging to your money. Let it go. So this tradition in the Jewish world came of what's called a second harvest. There's the first harvest and then there's second harvest. I think there's a ministry called second harvest out there somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. But the idea is Boaz, if he's a man of honor and he's letting people glean his fields, it means he's living under God's law. He's following even the smallest of these laws as a farmer. Doesn't have to, it's by choice. But he is, which is kind of neat. So they leave the corners of the field, they leave anything they drop, And if there's a chance for people to get some work done and get some food, they do. Second major law we should know is the family of Elimelech. In the Hebrew, this is goel. 
it is the word kinsman redeemer. So don't, it's not just something where I'm saying that's what's going on here. That's the word that's getting used. Uh, redeemer and a kinsman don't necessarily have to be a blood relationship, but in this case, they use that phrase, both a kinsman and a redeemer. It's relevant here because here's the law. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, which is the case with both Naomi and Ruth, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. In other words, you don't leave women destitute, right? So if you can take her in, you do, and you, you, you take her into your family. So, so Ruth married an Israelite. He died, and then she was taken into a family. But again, they keep saying Ruth the Moabitess. That would be an excuse for a lot of Jewish people to say, we don't owe this woman anything and to just leave her destitute. But there is a duty to do this, Genesis 38.8. The law extends especially to those in poverty, Leviticus 25.48, and it especially applies to the inheritance of the land, Leviticus 25.25. The whole purpose of this is that if a family is given an inheritance in the land, that inheritance isn't lost because there's no sons. You attempt to have that, help that woman to have sons because that son will inherit the land that Elimelech had. So any product of this marriage would be there. Well, then you get the Jewish people finding a way around the law. The goal of the goel is this law of substitution. Someone can step in for somebody else. It's a principle law that leads to Jesus stepping in for us as our kinsman redeemer. Does that make sense? Like he can step in and say, no, 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 you're under my family. I'm going to take care of you and I'll take the punishment that you owe and I'll take that on myself. So that law has everything to do with this Old Testament principle that gets used in the salvation story. So Ruth becomes an example of that and what it should look like. This is the way the law is supposed to work. So you replace the other thing, Leviticus 27, 13, you can, as a kinsman redeemer, redeem something that was supposed to go to the church or the temple. But if you do that, you have to pay, you have to replace it with something that's more valuable. So if you're going to do this law of substitution, part of the law was... If, if I am somebody who, if I have an inheritance and I want to buy that out from what's due or the, there's a duty for it, I have to pay more than it's worth. Which again comes right to Jesus Christ. Not only did he become a substitution for our sin, but he's worth so much more than we are. Like it's not even close, right? So it shouldn't, it, it's something that plays in in a, in a lot of different ways. There's a key idea here. When a human being is doomed, it's the right duty and honor of the master to save that human being from doom. It's a Jewish principle. comes right through into our Christianity. It's God's honor. He wants to save us from doom. And it's the duty to do that. With a bride, that's even more so. It's the duty of the family to redeem a bride that's been claimed by somebody else, like the world. So when death comes into the picture and that bride is out hanging out there doomed to death, it's the duty of the master or the Lord of the harvest, Jesus calls himself that, to take that bride and bring him into his household. It's exactly what Christ does with us. It's a wonderful image. So here the bride has little to offer. She's poor. She's a Moabite. She's childless. And she's a manual labor filled with sweat and muck and ickiness. Yet she's worth and precious to her master. It's his duty, right, and honor to save her from that doom. So... Again, we get that language. 
happened and behold. It's this language of like, Boaz just showed up. Look who's here. Behold the lamb. And now behold, verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, Lord be with you. And they answered him, Lord bless you. Okay, we just get a little picture, one sentence picture of the relationship Boaz had with the workers in his field. Not all lords of the harvest have positive relationships with those people doing the harvesting. Have you ever worked for somebody you hate? That wasn't the case here. You had it. Not only that, he uses Yahweh, the Lord be with you. He's actually putting a blessing on his workers. So have you ever worked for somebody who's a blessing to you and it's a joy to work for that person? And so we get this image of Boaz just being a godly leader, a guy who's living under the Lord's law that was implied before and now it's actually said literally. We see the response of the workers. He's respected by them, which says a lot about his lifestyle as a boss, as a Lord of the harvest. And, and, and it says why the book of Ruth was pulled out of the book of Judges. Like the theme here is just not the same theme that we had in Judges. Same period of time, very, very different idea. In the middle of this vile culture that has formed, you've got this image of Christ, this remnant of people living under his law despite how bad the culture gets. And they just love the Lord and they do it together. And you got that Lord be with you and Lord bless you. Like if you're not in a godly community, when people say, God bless you, that's so awkward and weird. But when you're in a godly community and we just talk that way, like it becomes really natural. And the, what I get in verse four is this is totally natural. So Israelites serving and faithfully serving the God that was presented to them. Uh, boy, I'm sure glad Naomi and Ruth ended up in Bethlehem. Isaiah 1.9, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. When you read Isaiah, there's a clear understanding that if it wasn't for these people in Bethlehem, Israel wasn't much better than Sodom and Gomorrah, which was what we saw at the end of Judges, right? Israel was no better than the rest of the world. But then you got this remnant and they're worth it. You know, and, and, and again, when God is talking to Abraham, he's like, man, if there's even 10 godly people in the city, will you save the city? And God's like, yeah, God doesn't need much for salt of the earth to save massive numbers of people to preserve those people he wants to bring into his kingdom. I'll keep going. Verse five. Then Boaz said to his servant, by the way, the servant here is nameless. I love that. Um, I'll tell you in a sec. The, the Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. <laughs> but this is a small town. Everybody knows each other. And she said, please let me, and she said, so Ruth said to the servant who's in charge of the workers, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came as, and has continued from morning till now. And though she, she's rested only a little in the house. Okay, so... For Jewish people, this story exemplifies the law, and we see that it's a wonderful and a good thing. For believers in Jesus, it's hard to not see Boaz as this redeeming Lord. L listen to how this looks. Boaz, the Lord of the harvest, shows up and checks in with the people he's put in charge and says, how's it going? Now listen to Luke 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, you know this verse, the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. 
A good Lord of the harvest is grateful for good workers. So the servant, the one who we don't know the name of yet, is reporting to the Lord of the harvest what's going on with the workers. And he gives, and, and, it's, and I think it's key to see the report he gives. This unnamed supervisor of the harvest, the work crew person, um, comments on her work ethic and her humility. First of all, she asked permission to glean. Under Jewish law, she doesn't need to ask permission. She has a right to glean the field under Jewish law. But notice the, the civility of Ruth. She politely asks permission to glean in the field before just assuming her rights. And you just see that sense. And so the servant person is commenting on the fact that she's humble and she's a hard worker. Um, and makes you know that idea of, hey, Boaz, she's a really hard worker. She only took one small break all day. Like, you and I haven't worked 14, 15-hour days lately, I would guess, out in the hot Middle Eastern sun. But Ruth did, and she only took a little break. So here's another attribute that Boaz is shown by this servant of his. And we get to see a sense of Boaz. Boaz hires good people because this guy's looking at the right things. Like you could run a coffee shop and hire a manager that's not a good manager and doesn't know how to identify virtues in the workers. But this servant who's in charge of the harvest knows what a good worker looks like and they know how to identify one. So that says something about the Lord of the harvest who has this person under their employ. It says something about their relationship. It says something about how God looks at his workers, that he's watching us and he has the Holy Spirit watching over us. And we are under observation. Ruth doesn't know she's being watched or does she just assume she's being watched? And as believers, we should just assume we're being watched. There's this expectation that's there. Uh, Young woman is the female version of the word servant. All it is is the word servant where it says young woman. Only it's the female version of that. It is the young Moabite woman. Uh, So it's not just a Moabite, it's the Moabite, saying how alienated she really was in the city of Bethlehem. Ruth might not know God's ways yet. She just followed Naomi, but she's going to learn how God's people operate, and she's going to be coached in how to be part of God's people. So there's three requests that Ruth makes. To glean, to gather, this is interesting, and, and to do it after the reapers with the sheaves. So she wants to glean what she can, but then she adds two requests that are unique. One, she wants to get her daily bread and she's willing to work for it, but she's got ideas on how to do it a little more efficiently. The Jewish law with gleaning is you come in after the reapers are gone and you just come get what you want. She wants to come in right when the reapers are there so the stuff on the ground doesn't rot by the time she gets it or gets stomped on. So she's got like, she's not only coming to work, but she's coming with ideas, right? As a boss, what an awesome thing. I just hired somebody that's not just doing what I told them, but she's doing a little bit, she's actually got ideas on how to do it more efficiently and better. So the three-part request where she asks to gather is to make little piles, right? So this is, again, she's going to just get stuff, put it into piles, and then at the end of the day, she'll come back and get all her piles. This is, this is innovating on what the Jewish law had with gleaning. She's adding to it. So she's doing more than what she has to. And that creation of a new approach shows what I'm going to call zeal. She has a zeal for what she's doing. I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it with zeal. So we mop the floors, but maybe there's a more efficient way to mop the floors. Like this is gleaning. We're not talking about high-level work here. 
but she's coming at it with this attitude. John 4, 35, don't say there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white with harvest. Get going on what you're doing. Ruth has a plan. She asks the supervisor. She goes at it with zeal, and now she gets bread. She gets food. It's barley bread, but it's bread, right? Then Boaz, verse 8, says to Ruth, so Ruth, come over here, and she's going to get to talk to the, to the Lord of the harvest. You listen, my daughter, will you not? Don't go glean in another field or go far from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from the young men from what they have drawn. The word my daughter here is not weird. It's a term of affection. It gets used in the ancient world, right? So it's not a, a blood relative thing, and she's not his actual daughter. So if you've heard that critique, it's stupid, and I don't want to get into it much more than to call it that. Um, he says, don't go away from here. He appreciates the zeal in the worker, but notice one of the instructions is don't leave, right? If you're getting your bread here, stay here and stay in these places. Why should he stay here? One, because it's safe. Nobody's going to be attacking you. Like, don't go off to the Gilead fields. Boaz's aware of the danger once you leave the people of God, that remnant of people that are just good and holy. There's a danger out there. So he's aware of that, and he tells her to stay home, and he tells her to stay close to the young women, which means there's a group of young women, and then he has a group of guys, and they're in two different work groups. So there's some separation there, which is part of how you prevent some of the stuff where there's dangers to young women. So there, there is a division that's set up there. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink. Not only can you get your food here with a little bit of hard work, but you're also going to get your thirst quenched. So for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, God provides for both. And we get this just wonderful image of here's this Gentile woman coming to a group of people she's never hung out with before. They're weird. They, well, we study the Bible. They are harvesting bread in the field. And when God's people hang out together, there's a safety and a joy amongst the remnant. She's not supposed to leave that remnant. The Redeemer's watching, verse 5. The Redeemer has supervisors, verse 6. Verse 7, they see the workers and pay attention to them. The Redeemer then directly talks to her after he sees some of those actions come out, verse 8. And then he tells her, listen. Just listen. Listen to what I'm saying about your life. Verse 8, stay with God's people. Verse 9, watch and follow God's people. You see both commands are in there, verse 9. It, just hang out with God's people for a while. And we always tell people, because they'll, they'll say, like, what can we do to help? Nothing. Just show up for six months and hang out. And learn what, and when people get together in groups, you have to understand that community of people so you can even start speaking their language. It's discourse, right? And it's basic sociology, but God didn't use the word sociology. But stay here and just hang out with us. Yes, we say weird things like, hello, brother, hello, sister, and God bless you, and we have weird Christian language, but if you just hang out for six months, it won't sound so weird anymore. In fact, it'll start to sound beautiful. And it'll start to be, oh, this is just a different way to interact with people. And it's way more righteous and holy. And then verse 9, there's safety here. And then verse 9, and your thirst can be quenched here. Drink all you want. You're going to get food. You're going to get water. Um, and you don't have to worry about the guys from Gilead because my guys will protect you. Right? Different kind of guys hanging out here too. Hang out, stay close, work hard, follow, listen, 
and be blessed and be, just have that reward. So the Lord of the hardest sees the zeal and rewards it. Let your eyes, that's an interesting phrase, right? Keep your eyes on the field. Don't send your eyes after the other fields that are out there. Keep your eyes on this field because in this field we do it the God's way. Everything you need is here. Uh, it's not out there. The food is here. The drink is here. The shelter is here. The companions are here. The refuge is here. And what you got out in the world is a bunch of people that should be here too that need to make that choice. Boaz doesn't fawn all over. Like you don't see any indication of romance at this point. There's just kindness and civility and protection. And, and Boaz is doing this because it's the right thing to do. But we don't, at least, at least at this point in the chapter, we don't get any hint that there's any ulterior motive than to just be kind and to be nice. To give her permission to drink from the vessels is huge. She's a Moabite woman. So a lot, the traditions of the Jews very quickly segregated themselves from other people. The Lord of the Harvest doesn't care about any of that. If you're here, it's yours to drink from. If you're here and you're doing the work and you're working in the field with us, it's yours too. So he leaves all that behind. When Ruth left all, she left those old gods and now she's learning about how to be with this new God. Paul uses these images from Ruth all the time. And I'm just going to pull one out. Ephesians 12, 2, 12. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's Ruth. She's an alien here. But God's people are going to bring her in, show her what it looks like, and bring her part of it. Verse 10. What's Ruth's reaction to this? She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? I don't belong here. There's nothing more prominent than a non-believer walking into the people of God for the first time and feeling totally out of place. There's, nothing, there's, there's no more significant, stark difference than when you leave the old world and come into a new world. Ruth is keenly aware that she's a foreigner. She's absorbed that as part of her identity. And she knows that specifically, foreigners aren't supposed to marry in Israel. When a stranger sojourns in your land, Leviticus 19, you shall do them no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns you as with you as the native among you, and you shall love them as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. A lot of these rules about strangers get justified by God saying, I'm the Lord, I say so. And the Jews just kind of started to abandon this quickly, but he's prepared through the law grace for Ruth that if you only find a godly man like Boaz who just follows the law or a godly Lord like Jesus Christ who just does what the law says and lives his whole life that way, then you've got where the law is merciful instead of harsh. Think of this as how Jesus treated people and how the Pharisees treated people. And that question of who am I? Who am I, Lord? What a beautiful question. Moses asked the question, Exodus 3.11. David asked the question, 2 Samuel 7.18. <laughs> Romans 7.24. All of us should ask this question. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? When we come to the Lord, we come with that same attitude of, why do I deserve this, Lord? What have I done? Who am I? I'm nothing is the answer to that. We come with a meek spirit and that meekness of spirit, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. That humility is part of what helps us come into the kingdom of God. It just doesn't feel like that when you have the humility. It just feels like I'm not worth much. That idea that she's a foreigner, that she's nobody, 
There is humility, and in the place of humility, she's correctly identified the reality of her situation. And to come into the kingdom of God, we do the same thing. We correctly identify that we have nothing to offer God. We are not worth much to God. But he loves us, and we're priceless to him at the same time. But that starting from a place of humility helps us to be humble with other people, too. And it helps us to have grace and mercy with other people coming into the kingdom after we've been there for a while. Verse 11, Boaz answered her and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you've done and your, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you've left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and you've come to a people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and you've spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Still recognizing she's different. Naomi is like Israel. Ruth is like the Gentiles. Jesus says that the Jewish people will kind of take for granted what the Gentiles come in with zeal and excitement about. And they're just so excited to be there. And at some point, the Gentiles make the Jewish people jealous because they have so much excitement about that relationship with Christ. In this passage, we get the word refuge. Jesus set up cities of refuge. I won't go into that too deep, but it's another major concept in the law that there's a place for refuge, and that gets named here too. That should stand out to us. Because you turned from Moab to here, that's the reason Boaz gives her. Notice that he knows a lot more about her than what the servant told him. (laughs) He didn't need the servant to get the story. The Lord of the harvest knows all and knows what's going on. And we get that picture here too. So it's not just that day of work that she was there. He references her whole history of faithfulness to Naomi. Her loyalty to Naomi has been seen and is recognized and is part of how she's being treated now. Those things we do that nobody knows about, the Lord of the harvest knows about. We don't do things in secret, in sin or in grace. We never do things in secret. God's watching and sees what we're doing. I like this idea of lean forward, lean backward. I shouldn't be leaning backwards when I do this. There is an attitude of life that we have to do things or we get to do things, right? Steph likes the Toby Mac thing on this. But there is an attitude that you either lean forward into life or you lean backwards and let it happen to you. And Ruth is a lean forward, get to kind of person and the Lord sees that and recognizes it. It says, you've come to a people you did not know. That takes courage and it's being recognized. It takes a ton of courage to come into a church for the first time in your life. A group of people you know nothing about and all you've heard are rumors and most of the rumors are bad. But to come in and just say, I just need some food. I need, I'll even pick barley off the ground but I need something other than what the world has to offer. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work. Boaz doesn't patronize her here. He doesn't repay her work. He's actually recognizing what she's done, and he's saying that God will do this, not I will do this. Let me repay your work. He's going to do some things, but when he talks to Ruth, he's like, the Lord is going to do some things in your life. Awesome. Also notice that when he says the Lord repay your work, it's as much talking to Ruth as it is a prayer to bless her right? This is a request. It could be read as a prayer. So this isn't about Boaz. It's about the Lord. I love this. You all know this, the deflection of gratitude. 
Like, if you like it and you're the Holy Spirit's blessing you, praise the Lord God Almighty. I'm glad the Lord's blessing you. But Boaz doesn't put himself in there or puff himself up. I love this. Uh, this is exactly how you treat new believers. It's good that you came under the wings, is the phrasing in that verse. Boaz makes this about God. It's not about me. It's about coming into refuge and God's taking care of you. And he references this law of refuge. Veteran Christians, we got to learn from this. This is how we treat new believers. Welcome to refuge. Come on in. He doesn't tell her to go take a bath. And she's been working in the field all day. But he's just like, welcome. And if you need some water, get some. If you need some food, grab it. Let brotherly love continue and don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some of them have entertained angels unaware. Hebrews 13, 1, 2. That there is New Testament teaching too. Our ability to treat strangers well is part of how we reflect God to people. Verse 13 says, let me find favor. It's a nice way for Ruth to say thank you. So we learn something about Ruth. She has manners, right? That, it's like saying, that was really kind. Thank you for saying that. That was nice. I appreciate that. Two attributes, um, that comforting and kindness are two ap- attributes that Jesus shows all the time to the humble. He's not so comforting to the non-humble, to the arrogant. Jesus is pretty in their face. But with the humble, he's comforting and he's kind, and he does it all the time. Maidservant there, the word maidservant is shifa. It's, a, it, uh, it's the lowest form of servant. Uh, they had servants that were women called amah. But the shifa that gets used here is the people who serve those folks, Right? It's less than an ama. It's less than a servant that's a female. It's a maid servant. Um, Ruth is not even that. She's the lowest. That's the position she puts herself in. I'm the least in the kingdom of, of Boaz. And she places herself in that place. Verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She had more than enough to eat. I love this. Okay, now in verse 14, I said before, no signs of romance. You go offering a girl bread and vinegar and sitting next to you at dinner, that there's romance in the ancient world. So he's offering a Gentile woman to come sit beside, or he says, come here. He invites her into his presence to eat at his table. Same images that Jesus uses. Like Jesus pulls from this when he talks about it. Come in and eat of the bread. To let her have the bread with the people, he's elevating her from maidservant to equal when he does that. Dipping in the vinegar, vinegar is super valuable. He's saying not only can you have the bread, you can dip it in the vinegar with all the other folks that are at this table. So he gives her a privilege and part of that is she came in with humility and it's a joy to elevate somebody from a place of humility. So he spends a little bit of money on her, takes her out to eat, lets her have a little vinegar. You know, this is a night. It's special. He doesn't take her out for McDonald's on the first date. He brings her in for vinegar, right? And I, we have to see that. Comets, vinegar, the word there. Uh, okay, so vinegar for me is that nasty smell and stuff. Comets is a sour wine. So it's a potent alcohol, and it would be more like we would call a port, right? But it's also a vinegar, don't miss that, and you can clean things with it. That's how strong of an alcohol it is. So, so he's giving her, think about this, he's giving her the bread and the wine. The same place. 
Come into the kingdom. You're safe here. Keep your eyes on this field. Have some bread. Have some wine. He offers, come sit with the reapers. Like in the church, there are people that reap and there's people that just watch the reapers. Like come sit with it. You're one of us. We, can, we know because we can see your zeal. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the fields. We see who you are. And then he's going to watch her over time too. So he passed it to her, verse 14. He personally serves her the bread. Looks a lot like the Last Supper where Jesus served his followers. She gets enough and more. It's like grace. You get grace and you get more than you need. If I get fed every week the word of God, I have plenty to offer people during the week. It just flows out of me because I'm fed. So the bread is always throughout the Bible Everywhere we see the bread being mentioned, it gets connected or we should think of the word of God, the Bible itself, what we're reading tonight. John 6, blessed are those you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts and we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Eating the word of God is something that we should be excited about doing and he gets that. So she keeps some back. She's thinking of Naomi, like, man, I'm hearing this great bread-eating meal. And she puts some in her purse. My mother-in-law used to do that when she went to buffets. But she's <laughs> stuffing the purse to bring Sam home for Naomi, right? Not only am I bringing home the grain, I'm going to bring some cooked stuff. So she's coming home with way more than she left with. This is the opposite of chapter 1, where they go out to Moab full, and they come home empty. Ruth's doing the opposite. She goes out empty, and she's coming home full. And she keeps some back for Naomi, which tells us a little bit about Ruth, too. She's not just hoarding it to herself. She's not a Hansel and Gretel at the candy house, right? She's actually got some thoughtfulness of others. So she's sitting in her Bible study thinking, I know exactly who I need to tell about this. So she's putting some away and thinking of those people she needs to share it with. Verse 15, when she rose up to glean, she's going to go back to work? Like, look at her work ethic, right? Dinner's served. Workday is not over in, in, in the ancient world. So she gets up to glean and Boaz commands his young man, pulls the guys to the side and he says, let her glean among the sheaves. Let her pull some stuff right out of your sheaves. We're not going to wait for it to fall to the ground anymore. We're going to let her pick it standing up. And don't reproach her. Also let the grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. Leave it so that she can glean and don't rebuke her. Wow, when we're putting this next to Matthew and thinking about the body of Christ, this is the instruction from the Lord of the harvest to the workers of the harvest. When you got somebody brand new to your community, it says twice, don't reproach her and don't rebuke her. Somebody comes to the church with a bad habit that you don't like, not the time to deal with the habit. What we're going to do is give her more food. Let's purposefully share the word of God with that person. Let's purposefully share what we're getting out of our Bible study. And you ever meet somebody that like doesn't talk about Bible study ever? And then you're like, oh, I was in Bible study and I heard this and this and their eyes glass over. Like they don't even know what to do with that. But you get somebody where God stirred their heart, their eyes don't glass over. They're like, Bible study? What? It's like Ellie talking to Mandy. It's like, wait a second, what? You're going to Bible study? Where did you get that? And you, you don't rebuke those people. You purposefully leave them things that you're hearing. But back to our story, back to our wonderful, beautiful metaphor. She rises up to glean, and she goes back to work. Boaz commanded, not a light term there. It's an emphatic term. He's talking to his workers saying, you will do this. 
By the way, under the law, Boaz doesn't have to do any of this stuff. He's way past the law. He's living a life of righteousness that's exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew chapter 5. It fall purposefully. He's asking his followers to be purposeful about how they share with this person. Be intentional. Be giving. Don't be reproaching. Be a blessing. Don't be a curse. Be an encouragement. Don't be an accuser. And it's super clear. So we step out in faith. We do that. And God's ready to bless us. And he's going to bless Boaz too. So she gleans in the field until evening. That's a long work day. And then she beats out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephath of barley. <laughs> then she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw that what she had gleaned. And she brought out and gave to her what she'd kept back after she'd been satisfied. She went home and brought it all back to Naomi. Look at what I've found. Oh, by the way, ephath or ephah, that equates to 30 pounds of grain. Let's not, let's not minimize at all. She got a haul. Like, you would hope if you're gleaning in the ancient world that you might get a cup of usable grain that you could make a couple cakes with. So these workers, they didn't just leave one or two little bits for Ruth. They like were like, oops, I dropped this. Oops, I dropped that. Do you want to just grab a handful out of here? They were hooking her up. So when, and, and, and don't miss the work that she puts into this. She's done till evening, verse 17, and beat out what she gleaned. So she's putting the work in. Like it's, you don't want to just drop pearls to swine. Like, when you're going to give people things, she's going to go home and do her work with it. And this is where we keep saying, like, Sunday night should not be the only time you open the Bible during the week. You should be doing it all week. Like, do your own work. Or I'll say, don't just trust me, because I often say things where I put my foot in my mouth. Go to the Word yourself and discover it on your own. 30 pounds? Awesome. That's grueling for a day's work. That's intimidating. Ruth is a machine. So the nice, dainty little 14-year-old image just went out of my head. 30 pounds on her shoulder from the field back to town. Like, she's hauling it. She's butch. Like, or maybe she's a sweet thing and God's giving her strength like Samson. I don't know. But it's an expression of God's giving in abundance. She gets up in the morning and she goes to work. She comes home with way more. There's so much more blessing if you go to the God's people and you're looking for your food. Ruth's an image of hard work, faithfulness, loyalty. And in the first century, this is a 14 to 16 hour workday she just put in. She stoops to gather. She picks it up. She takes it home. She shares it with other people. She's threshing, winnowing, and bagging it up. By the way, the bagging would be more stooping at the end of the day. Like, and she does all this so she can share it with Naomi. Like just the heart of this woman. Verse 19, and again, contrast this with judges. Like, this is the, a person we should be looking at going, wow. And by the way, she's an ancestor of Jesus. Like, that's how much God loves this woman, right? He puts her right in his family tree. That Moabite ended up in his family tree. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Isn't that the reaction people should have when we're sharing the word with them? Where did you get that? And where did you work Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Like Naomi's like, no way did you get all that from gleaning, right? Not a chance. What happened? 
naturally, Ruth gets to share her story. And it's done at this point. Naomi has just shifted. Remember she was bitter last chapter? This is not a bitter woman. This is a woman who just saw a light of hope. Like her disposition comes back to being pleased. Her namesake. She's called Naomi. No amount of work can do this kind of fruit. And the question when the fruit of your life is greater than your work, the natural question of people outside the body is to say, where are you going to get that? How does that come out of this day and age? How does your courage come in in an era of fear? How does your boldness come in an era of being ashamed of the word of God? How does your courage come out of a place where everybody's supposed to be intimidated? Where does that come from? And you're like, Bible study. I just study the word and it's right there. And I believe what God says. So she tells her mother-in-law, I'm sorry, I didn't finish verse 19. So she tells her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. This fruit leads to a natural evangelism. Who, what, where, when. And Ruth says, she doesn't talk about the where or anything. She goes right to the person. Because it's not about the field. It's not about the where. It's about Boaz. It's about the Lord of the harvest. Verse 20, then Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Again, welcome back, Naomi. Glad to see you understand the spirit here. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Now the setup in verse one told us the reader that, but this is where Ruth finds that out. She discovers, oh, close relative. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naomi rightly gives the glory to God who is not forsaken, she's not hopeless anymore. We know all things, we know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the, those who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. Ruth was called, she got up and did it, and she's blessed for it. And this isn't like blessed like you're going to get a new car. This is a very different, this is Naomi going from hopeless to hopeful. That's the blessing. It's the heart that changes. That relation of ours is a quarab goel. It's only two words. Actually, the whole phrase, a relation of ours, one of our close relatives, in the Hebrew is korab goel. It's one of those interesting language things where in English it's this whole phrase. In the Hebrew, it's just two words. Um, they contrast each other. Quarab means near or close, same branch of the family, kinship. Goel is actually, in this sense, a verb. A re- someone who redeems, a close relative that redeems. The other meaning of the word goel is avenger. Remember, a kinsman redeemer can fix something that's wrong. Grant likes the avenger side of it, but it's also someone who can make something right in terms of a good thing. He is a redeemer. So it's like Naomi saying, Boaz, he's a kin relative, a redeemer. He's somebody who could redeem oh my goodness, how did you end up in this field and what's going on and tell me the whole story. So she says Boaz's name and Naomi literally responds by blessing Jehovah. (laughs) Like, don't miss the connection here. Boaz did this and she goes, oh, praise the Lord. Like Naomi gets what's going on here because she's Hebrew, she should understand this. And Ruth is like, no, 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 that's not it. Listen up, verse 21. Ruth the Moabitess said, we're reminded again, she's a Gentile. He also said to me, oh, like, oh, Naomi, that's not the end of it. Like the e-path of flower, that's nothing. Listen to this. Listen to what he said. 
He also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until you've finished all of my harvest. In other words, I get to go back tomorrow. You know what the best thing about being with the people of God is? I get to go back to the people of God. I'm going to get this kind of bounty every day, Naomi. We're going to be filthy rich, but in a spiritual way, right? But like these are people that were destitute yesterday, and now they're fed, and there's a reliable source of food that's going to show up. They say, I can stay until they finish the harvest. And with these young men that are going to guard me instead of abuse and rape me. Like, awesome, Naomi, this is good. Verse 22, and Naomi said to her Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young man and that the people do not meet you in any other field. Trust me, Ruth, this is a gift. Don't miss how important this is. Ruth the Moabitess, uh, keep getting that reminder. The young men there is Naar. And the young woman in the same passage in verse 22 is na'ara. So it's the male and female version of the word servants, right? And they're in two different groups. Uh, with the men, Ruth is likely, like when she talks, she's like, I get to stay close to the young men. It's, Ruth is thinking about her safety, right? I get to stay by these guys. But <laughs> Naomi is gently as an older woman reminding her that it's good for her to hang out or to tobe with the young women. Like, don't just, don't be the only girl in a group full of guys. Like, don't be that girl, right? Try to, you know, Ruth, try, it's good for you to hang out with the women, and, and that might be good too. So Naomi's giving some coaching here for Jewish culture that maybe Ruth doesn't get. She's not part of that culture. And Naomi knows that you don't want to seem like a woman that's just available to any guy out there. Like, you got to have a little bit of modesty. I think some of that guidance is going on there. The people do not meet you. Naomi encourages her, cheers for her. Try to find your people. Like, like hang with these people. That not meet you there is the phrase to fall upon or to be attacked. So Naomi's thinking of that too. Like, this is about your safety. If you get away from the people of God, there are attacks. There are bad things that happen out there. And that's not to be made light of. Verse 23, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz, tells us something about Ruth. She took the gentle suggestion from Naomi, right? She actually heard the advice. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. That's another two months. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Two seasons go by. This menial labor as she comes into the kingdom she sticks with it. It's not one day of work. It's, it's months of work, four or five months of work. Notice she goes from barley to wheat. Wheat's the good stuff. Where barley's the cheapest of the crops, maybe, you know, flax is in there too. Wheat is the most valuable of the crops, right? It's the precious crop. So she goes from eating the cheap stuff to bringing home bags of wheat every day. God doesn't just give us his commandments. He gives us his heart. We don't just get his word, we get his Holy Spirit. We don't just get barley, we get wheat. And it, it, it advances. God doesn't just give us rules. Look at the beauty of the Old Testament. He gives us stories, narratives, histories, genealogies, images, Christophanies, typographies, metaphors, nuances. Like, he doesn't just give us the barley. He gives us the whole package. And the Lord's just wonderful about this. We don't just get a cup, we get an ephah of flour and we get to bring it home. Uh, so after him whose sight I might find favor to be clear 
Boaz is noted by the narrator, but Ruth doesn't, right? So Ruth's not necessarily thinking about Boaz. Ruth is maybe thinking about these young men that she might have a chance. But I'm reading into that. Like, it doesn't say that here. This is largely about safety, right? So... I think that's it. Am I at the end of the chapter? I am? Well, praise the Lord, because I'm super excited, and I was like ready to go into page two all over again. We'll just put that back in order. Um, what a blessing. It gets better. Like, honestly, go ahead and read and finish Ruth. It, it just keeps, like, they have no idea how God's going to bless them and how that's going to just grow in their lives and how God's going to just bring Naomi and Ruth primarily Ruth, so much blessing. She's going to become a bride again. And that's where we're headed next week when we get to chapter three. We'll watch that progress of going from hopeless and destitute into being part of the the Lord of the harvest home and he goes after like a kinsman redeemer. It's beautiful. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord and King, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you that we can come into your house and we get so much more than we thought we were going to get. We wake up in the morning and we think it's going to be work and we go home at night with a bag of flour. And Lord, I just feel that way every time we open your word. It's so precious and alive and perfect and permanent and preeminent. And Lord, we just soak in your word as the bread of life and we just absorb that, Lord, because we love you. We want to be more like you, but we just can't believe sometimes the the grace and the mercy that you show to us. Uh, Thank you for making the fields ripe for harvest. Thank you for making us your workers. Thank you for bringing us in. Lord, if if there's anyone in this room right now that feels like a foreigner, feels like they're not part of the body, help us to be welcoming to that person. And we don't always know how to do that, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to show us how. There's so many differences between people in our culture. Uh, You got to help us bridge those differences and do it just in love and in grace and in welcome. Lord, help us to be purposeful about dropping some of those sheaves so that the people that that are among us and with us, Lord, they just feel blessed, that they can go home and tell stories about the blessings they got. Um, Lord, we can't do that on our own. We need you to do it for us. But thank you for the story of Ruth, that you put this in the Bible for us. Thank you for putting it right after Judges, (laughs) that Lord, even no matter how bad the world gets, there is a shining light of hope and redemption, even amongst all of that. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to live in the house of the Lord of the harvest, uh, to be people that do not, do not accuse, and we don't hurt, and we don't discipline people, Lord, but we, we come in with welcome and gifts, and we offer and we just flip the world's thinking on its head, Lord. We're not here to fix people. We're here to feed people. Uh, Lord, give us an attitude of grace and love and compassion. Uh, Lord, help us to look after ourselves, that when it comes to sin in our life, we don't have that grace with our own dabbling with sin. Lord, we get rid of it. We chop it off. We get it out of our life because we want to serve you with everything we got. In Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you. Amen. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, 
you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media. 